Earlier this week, we dropped episode one of this podcast with the head coach at Canisius, Trevor Large. You can check that out if you haven't already. Uh, Today, it's episode two. We're coming right back at you with another one, two here in week one. I can promise you uh, we won't be doing this every week. Uh, where we drop two podcasts in a week. But every once in a while, I may shoehorn in some two-episode two weeks. Uh, and today's one of those weeks. Oh, this week is one of those weeks. And today, uh, I'm joined by a guy who is very familiar with me. Uh, he's all, I'm also very familiar with him uh, because it's the team that I cover the most often for the Eagle Tribune, Merrimack College head coach, Scott Bork, who talked about a ton. This was a really fun episode uh, because it's stuff that him and I had just never talked about. I mean, we did a little bit of stuff when he was hired at Merrimack, and I did a couple of stories, but there was a lot that we talked about on this episode that we never discussed. We went all the way back to when he got started in coaching. He was a student at Dartmouth and actually had an injury that that ended his playing career, and he was able to get into coaching right away. I mean, you don't you don't hear any stories like that anymore. Uh, he was still a student when he when he technically had his first coaching job. He he joined the coaching staff at Dartmouth uh, when he was still a student, his junior his junior and senior year, and he coached the JV team right after uh, an injury ended his playing career uh, in his sophomore season, and then right after Dartmouth got hired at Providence College by the guy who recruited him to Dartmouth, who was uh, then at, at, at Providence, and he spent some time there working with uh, Mike McShane, and uh, Lou Lamorella was the, the the athletic director there at the time, and Dick Umilly. That was his first, the first times he had crossed paths uh, with, with Dick Umilly was was at Providence when they were both assistant coaches, um, and then... From there, uh, just what a career. From there, ended up at Brown for a couple of years. Lake State is the head coach uh, for four or five years, I think it was. I think it was five years at Lake State, four of them as a head coach. I uh, worked with Jeff Jackson there. Then he came back over to the to the eastern the east coast and spent a year at New England College. Everybody knows about the run they had at UNH uh, when he was there with um, – when he was there with Dick Umilly. So uh, quite a run that they had there. And then, of course, he was at Nate Lehman for a few years of Providence before taking over as the head coach at Merrimack uh, back in 2017. But one of the things, and I actually bring it up in, in the interview, was uh, one of the things that the athletic director at Merrimack, Jeremy Gibson, told me the day that, that Scott Bork was hired, or the day of his press conference, we were uh, talking in the, in the, uh, the lobby. They, they held the press conference in the lobby uh, of, of Lawler. And we were... We were talking before the press conference started, and he said, did you realize that going back 14 uh, out of the last 16 years, up until the point where he was hired, 14 out of the last 16 years, Scott Boric had been on a staff of a team that had reached the NCAA tournament? Pretty crazy. Uh, you know, you don't see many of that. Uh, there's not many. I mean, especially nowadays with, with parity being as crazy as it is and so many new teams, you know, bouncing in and out and, and having opportunities. You just don't see that a ton. You know, I don't think you see you don't you just don't see it. There's, there's just too much parity in the game to have that much consistency with teams making the NCAA tournament. So to be in there, both at UNH and Providence, obviously, to, to be in the tournament. 14 out of 16 seasons was is a pretty pretty crazy stat. And I, I remember not believing it when I heard it, and I had to go back and, and look it up. But lo and behold, uh, it was true. I, I actually said 15 out of 16 in the interview, and, and Coach Bora corrected me and said it was 14 out of 16. He didn't want to didn't want to take credit for something that uh, that did actually happen. So, but it was a really great interview. Uh, we talked about a ton. We talked about a ton, and then of course how we got the job at Merrimack and how things are going there. So, uh, we talked about a ton. I was really excited to have him on, uh, and I think it's a really good episode. With a guy who just has 
a really incredible background. And, and going back to 1983, I think it was, uh, when he first started coaching at Dartmouth. So that's the other thing. I mean, not to not to age him, <laughs> but not many guys. If you look around, look around the country. There's not many guys that have been around that are head coaches now in college hockey. There's not many of them who have been around the sport since the early 80s. Uh, there's there's some that have, obviously, but not many. I mean, even if you go back and include their playing days, uh, there's just not many guys that have been around for the last, you know. Not, again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to hear this later on and have him get mad at me. But almost 40 years, uh, he's been around the game forever. I mean, because he started as a teenager, he started in coaching as a teenager. Not many guys do that. Uh, most guys, at least, you, know, you see a guy take maybe a year off or or a couple of years off, or as Trevor Large told us the other day, was, was actually going into a different profession before he ended up get, coming back into coaching. And uh, or if nothing else, some guys will go play pro for a couple of years, so they're not involved in the college game until they come back and start coaching. You know, a few years later after they graduate, if they play pro hockey for a few years. So not many guys uh, get started coaching college hockey at at 19 years old but but scott borg did so it was a really fascinating conversation um and i, and I had a fun i had a blast doing it because again it was topics that we don't normally get to discuss we're normally just talking about his merrimack team which we did at the end of the interview so we talked plenty about their season um especially over the last month they're playing real well and have some freshmen uh, that are big key contributors coming out of prep hockey which is not something you usually see um not anymore anyway there's usually guys need a year there to Goat juniors and maybe get a little bigger and stronger, but Connor Levin and Alex Jeffries, two guys that have come in straight out of prep and 18 years old, true freshmen, and they have played really, really well. So Jeffries getting a lot of publicity, obviously, a point per game, uh, or just under a point per game. He was injured for about the last month and just came back. But uh, two guys that are playing well. We talked about recruiting and, and establishing relationships. He tells he tells an incredible story about being at Providence. Uh, after I bring up a story, his first game back at Providence. Uh, when he was the head coach at Merrimack, uh, I'll never forget it. And I told him I have the photo somewhere. I can dig it out somewhere on my computer. But I, uh, I never seen anybody uh, have the take the time to, uh, or have the players take the time to to greet him and, and show some respect and and just say say hello and say hey what's up after a game the way that the Providence players did after that first game that he coached down at Providence as the head coach of Merrimack. Players literally lined up on the ice, usually in the handshake line. As the coaches go through, you know, you get the, hey, you know, nice game, nice game, good job. Uh, but those guys stayed on the ice for, for several minutes, uh, and it was it was pretty, uh, it was a pretty cool moment. You could tell it was emotional for him too. So, let's get right to the interview. Scott Bork, the head coach at Merrimack College. All right, we're joined by the head coach at Merrimack College, Scott Bork. Coach, how you doing? Doing really well, Mike. Really well. How are you? I'm I'm doing excellent. We're uh, I, I wanted to talk. We, we obviously talk all the time. People know that I covered you guys for the Eagle Tribune and stuff like that. So we talk a lot. We'll talk about this year's team coming up in a little bit. But I wanted to start uh, by talking about something that I'm not sure that other than maybe your introductory press conference we've talked a lot about, and it's kind of just your background uh, in coaching. And and I know it started back when you were still a student at Dartmouth, which is. Not probably the typical path for a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches that usually get out or, or are, are several years removed from college before they start coaching. It's rare to even see, I think, guys nowadays go right into coaching right from when they graduate. But uh, you had started when you were still a student. I remember we talked about this when you were hired at Merrimack. Uh, there was a, an injury situation there, I believe, that kind of forced the end of your playing career, and, and you got right into coaching right away. Uh, what was that? Uh, could you kind of just tell us that story and tell us how you got into coaching back when you were still a student at Dartmouth? Well, 
it's uh, it's funny because I'm certain that my parents didn't send me to Dartmouth to, to get into coaching. Um, but it it, uh, it just was the way it happened. I was very, very fortunate that the head coach at the time at Dartmouth was George Crow. Uh, he was someone that I had known for a long time. He had coached my uh, older brother in high school at Exeter Academy. Uh, he had known my family. I had a relationship with him since I was probably 12 years old. So it was really natural for me to go to Dartmouth and to play for him. Um, and then when I got injured, uh, I, you know, he would probably say if he was with us today that it was really natural for him to, you know, take me under his wing. And he was really good. You know, he, um, that first year was very difficult. Obviously, as you can imagine, being 19 years old and being told you, you can't play the, the game you love. Um, and that was a really hard uh, second semester for me, my sophomore year. Uh, and then over the summer, he approached me, um, George Crow did, and said, hey, I'd like to have you begin uh, maybe a coaching career. Try to sit with us and do some things with our, our staff and maybe coach the junior varsity team. And back then, all the Ivies had two teams. You had a varsity and a JV team, and um, and, and you only had three coaches. It was uh, George, myself, and Bob Gaudet. We were the only three people on the staff. And so George was able to get me a paid position, uh, very minimal but a paid position uh and i was allowed to coach the jv team and i was on the ice and traveled with and was on the bench with the varsity team as well and i got a great experience working with george uh bobby got that was a first year coach um and i had known him for for a little while he'd actually hosted me on my recruiting trip to dartmouth so we had a relationship and he has you know the one thing about bob got that is he has no ego and it didn't matter to him that i was just a junior in college he was uh very open and very willing to let me participate and be part of the staff and that year with george was outstanding uh, you know uh, the following year george got let go that year at the end of the year and brian mason came in who was the head coach at rit and you know he thought saw there was a value in having a coach who was also um you know part of the school and part of the fabric of the team because i was going to be a senior and part of the you know, I'm in the dorm, I'm in the fraternity and all that stuff. And he uh, saw value in that and offered me a position to stay on. And that would actually recruit some recruiting as, as well. And uh, it really worked out great. I got two great years of coaching my junior and senior year. Uh, forever thankful for my friends who actually listened to me because I had friends on both the varsity and JV team. And, um, you know, it was really, it was a great experience to launch a career. And I assumed it would launch me into prep school. Uh, the kind of, you know, I'd gone to prep school and the coach to teach at prep school. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to, the person who recruited me to Dartmouth was Mike McShane. And he got the job at Providence and he wanted a young and dumb guy that would just run around on the road. And he thought I'd fit that description. And, and off we went together and, and I never looked back. So it, it's been a, a really enjoyable and immensely rewarding um, time. And, and to have the people that I can call friends who are, you know, legends of the game and people that I've been able to be around and associated with and relationships that I've built. Uh, it's really what the game's all about, and it's been unbelievably good to me. Uh, I, I know, you, like you said, you kind of got thrown into it pretty quickly back when you were a student, but did you think about coaching when you were a younger player? Did it feel like something you wanted to go into, or uh, did it kind of just happen naturally, you know, when you were at Dartmouth? Uh, quite honestly, when I was in high school, I, I always, like, I... I'd spend time drawing plays and power plays and different things in books and notebooks when I was bored. And I'd always wanted to coach. And I, I really was, I was going to Dartmouth 
as an education slash psychology major, hoping that I would walk out of Dartmouth and walk into a prep school scenario. Like I had gone to Exeter and my brother had gone to the prep school and had a great experience. And I really loved it. I loved my prep school coach, Bill Dennehy. And, you know, I wanted to be Bill Dennehy and uh, have that opportunity. And then uh, the college thing just happened. And, and that's why I ended up there. So, uh, but it, it was certainly something, it was a goal of mine to stay in hockey after college. Obviously, like everybody else, my first goal was to do it as a player. But, um, you know, I tell people all the time that my injury um, at the time allowed me to make hockey a vocation for life uh, versus something I did, you know, through my 20s. And uh, I'm pretty lucky that way. Uh, Once you got to Providence, I mean, did did it change at all being away or kind of not that Dartmouth wasn't the first job it was but I mean you, like you said you knew a lot of those guys you knew a lot of those players um what was it different walking into Providence at all when it was kind of fresh and new and you didn't know any of those players and you had to kind of get to know all those new guys and get to know all those new faces it was uh very challenging I, I um you know Dartmouth at the time we weren't having a lot of success as a program um and Providence was pretty good they just come off of uh, the final game and you know, Chris Terreri was the goalie, and we had some other really uh, high-end players on that team and really some good people. And, um, you know, it was it was a challenge. But my main role in that team, like people would say to me all the time, oh, you're a coach. And I, I was more of a used car salesman. You know, Mike uh, McShane, who was my boss, he just kind of unleashed me on the road, and, and off I went. And you know, I remember driving to Toronto. I was there for four weeks in my own car and stayed in uh, Red Roof Inns and then ate all my meals because – I was uncomfortable eating by myself as you, as you are at that age. Uh, and you know, I made all my lunch and dinners drive through. I got back to Providence and Lou Lamorell, who was the AD called me into his office and said, is this something you want to do for a while? And I said, yes, very much. I love it. And he goes, well, you can't live a lifestyle like this on the road. You have to eat better. I want you to stay in better hotels and never take your own car again. Cause it doesn't look good for the college. And I was like, Whoa, you know, that, that took, that shocked me. But, that, I was lucky. Look at that. My first job, I'm, I'm working with Mike McShane as my boss, uh, Dick Humilis is my partner, and Lou Lamoureux is our, all of our bosses. Uh, that's a pretty good start, pretty fortunate place to jump into. What was it like uh, working with, with Lou Lamoureux, who obviously everybody knows has gone on to have a, a pretty, I'd say a pretty good career in the NHL. Uh, what, what was it like working with him at the very beginning, too? Well, I, you know, I would have very limited contact with him, but the one thing that I know, and, and actually it's funny, you see and you actually hear from people who have been in organizations that he's with, uh, the level of professionalism was unmatched. Like our program, even back then, um, it just seemed like we had everything, you know, and, and uh, you know, for him to call me in that day and to say, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. You can't do this. It doesn't look good for the college. You know, and then uh, the only other time I actually sat down with him when I was signing my contract and I asked, um, I asked for moving expenses. Obviously, mom and dad told me to ask for moving expenses because I didn't even know those existed. Um, and I didn't have a lot because I was coming out of a dorm room. But, um, you know, he said, you know, why don't we add $2,000 to your salary? That way you'll get benefits for it, too. And I was like, you know, and looking back now, I see how amazing those two situations were. Um, cause now obviously that's not the way things operate, but, um, that was my memory, uh, from Lou and, and, uh, I didn't have a lot of contact with him, but I do, I did benefit. I was a benefactor of kind of his professionalism and the way he operated and, uh, for always be 
positively remembered for, for me for, because of that. Not to get too sidetracked, but you talked about when you ended up at Providence and your kind of your role was to get out on the road and recruit players. And uh, how is that? How has recruiting, in your opinion, changed from you know the the mid to late '80s to now? I mean, obviously it's different. I'm sure the players are looking for different things. But how has recruiting kind of evolved? And and how have even though you're a head coach now, how how have you had to evolve as a recruiter to try to pull kids in? Well, uh, uh, it's funny because back in the day, there weren't a lot of bells and whistles in college hockey. You know, BC was playing at, at the Conti. Uh, BU was playing at Walter Brown. Uh, really, Dartmouth had one of the nicest facilities. Um, and Snyder Arena was pretty nice for Providence as well. So there weren't a lot of bells and whistles. So relationships were the things that helped kids make decisions, relationships and opportunities. And they were making those decisions as seniors in high school. So they were old enough and, and they had enough uh, worldliness a little bit to make those decisions based upon those factors. And so I thought you got a much more honest recruiting process. Um, it seemed much more above board from the coach's standpoint as well, relative coach to coach. Um, and now I think it's become kind of the wild, wild west. Uh, we didn't have agents in the game back then really like they are now in college. Um, so it's, it's relational now, but it's much more about the bells and whistles. It's a, much more about the picture on the front of the media guide than it is you know, about the relationship with the head coach, which is unfortunate because ultimately the experience is based upon that relationship. Um, but you know, kids that are being recruited so much younger really aren't, you know, truth be told, not in a position to be making those kinds of decisions. And their parents, and after dealing with many of them, aren't also in that position to be making those decisions. Um, and so we, you see a lot of kids making poor decisions and a lot of schools making bad decisions, including us. And we're trying to, you know, as, as a head coach, I'm trying to not get overactive in the younger pool because I think that's where the mistakes are made. Uh, and frankly, those kids aren't, you know, they didn't wake up thinking they were going to Merrimack, right? So it's almost a waste of time to recruit them. Um, but there are the special ones that have a connection to us or have certainly a relationship we've been able to build, either, either staff myself or the assistants uh, that can bring us along those lines of recruiting that young player. We've only done it a couple times, um, but it's, it's not something we'll be built on, but certainly as you can tell, like just the team we played this week, um, you know, there's a lot of guys who committed to BU when they were 15 years old on that team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it still, I would imagine it's still about relationships to a certain extent, even with you. I mean, I remember I still have the photo somewhere, but the first game that you coached at Merrimack down at Providence. So with Merrimack at Providence, uh, usually, you know, you see the coaches go through the handshake line, and, and it's usually, you know, good game, nice job, and it goes through pretty quick. But I still have a photo somewhere of, of that entire team, uh, your first year at Merrimack, a lot of those guys that I'm sure you recruited that stayed on the ice. And it wasn't just a, like a, hey, good game, good to see you. It was like a line of guys <laughs> with everybody else off the ice, kind of a line of guys waiting to say hello. So obviously, I mean, in, in recruiting those players, you'd still establish relationships with them to the point where, you know, it wasn't just a, hey, what's up, coach? How are you? Good to see you. You know, it seemed like th- those guys, a lot of them, were on the ice and, and were taking 20, 30 seconds to say say hello and kind of wish you well. And, and I, I would imagine, again, you recruited a lot of those guys. Relationships obviously were built if, if you know, something like that happens after a game. Yeah, no, that was, you know, it, yeah, it, that was one of the um, more special, you know, moments actually in my career. And, and I, I don't I can't tell you, I, I think we lost the game. Um, I don't even the, remember. The thing, yeah. uh, I don't remember, but I, 
the the reason it, it, it moves me so much is I, I went through a lot with those players. Um, I went through a lot. Uh, you know, I just went through a lot in life with those with those players. So they probably saw me as raw as you ever see a coach. Uh, just because, you know, they'd been emotional with me. They'd seen me be emotional with them. And um, it was a special group. And, and, and that was a, special, a very special support group for me personally uh, when I was going through some of the most difficult times. And, um, and I think, it, you know, I leaned on those guys as much as they leaned on me. And that's unique. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't often happen. But I just I needed them um, just like they needed their coach. Their coach needed them. And so I think when we got to that, that game that day and and uh i remember like i'm emotional now just thinking about it it was it was a really special moment for me um and it was it is that, that's when coaching's at its best that's when this profession's at its best that's when college sports is at its best when when you have you know young men like that um taking their time to show that level of respect and i hope uh, an old guy like myself who's earned it but also who um, appreciates it as much as I do. And I think that that's the, that's the hardest thing. I, and I think that's, that's why you see guys coaching for a long time. That's why coach Millie coached for a long time. And that's why Jerry York is still coaching. And I just think that uh, those relationships uh, for the coaches uh, mean the world to us. Um, so yeah, I know it still is. And I appreciate you bringing it up. I, my answer's a little long because I'm trying to get my emotions back, but yeah, I appreciate no, that. No, I, but I, I'll never forget that because, again, you don't see that often, especially now. I mean, guys, coaches will move around, whether it's a head coach moving to a new team or an assistant moving to a new team. But uh, you know, I never remembered seeing anything like that after a game. I mean, I just – I never yeah, – I was I was sit with Mark Diver, I think, when it happened too, the Providence, uh, he was the Providence Journal at the time, and uh, even he was saying, he's like, I can't remember anything like, like this ever happening after a game where it was – you know, I think at one point, I think even like the Zamboni pulled out in the ice and <laughs> was waiting to, to make the ice after the game. But it was it was a really cool moment, and it was something that I that I definitely remember, and I know he does too. Um, so you were at Providence up until the I think it was '89, and then a couple of years at Brown, and then got your first opportunity to be a head coach uh, up at Colby College. What was that transition like, going from the the assistant coach life to that that first shot at the at the head coaching life? Well, it was it was unreal. I, I loved uh, my experience at Brown was incredible. I, we you know we had gone from last of not the first, but we we moved the program a long way, and it was it was a ton of fun. I hated leaving, um, but I just I just felt like I I, I kind of felt like I was ready. And 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 Colby was a, a wonderful special place for me. And my daughter graduated from school there. I Gordy and Maddie were born there, um, and now I was a head coach. But you know the best coaches in NESCAC and in Division Three never lose that assistant coach mentality. Um, it was very much about, you know, being on the road, uh, being aggressive, staying 100%, you know, dialed in on the recruiting, um, and then getting the school to get dialed in on what your goals were, you know, because at, at that level, it wasn't, you know, it's not the school's goal to win championships. It's to produce uh, programs and, and people, and that's, you know, that's different. So it was a, it was and it was a special place to me. Uh, we practiced there this year. We went back. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, last year, because it was the last time they're going to have the old rink open, the old Alphonse, which was always a great place. Um, but no, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. But you know, if you're in Division Three and you're the head coach, it, all that means is you're getting paid a little bit more. It doesn't mean that you're not recruiting because you better be recruiting. <laughs> uh, and then you made a, a move after Colby that. Not, 
Maybe it was different then because I don't remember. Uh, you can tell me. But it, it was a move that I don't think a lot of guys – you don't see now happen very often where a guy that's kind of Eastern-based goes out to a Western-based school to, to become the associate head coach and then later on the head coach at Lake State. Uh, it, it just seems that, that coaching nowadays is a little more regionalized to the sense where you kind of have like your Eastern guys and your Western guys and there's not a lot of guys that go back and forth. But uh, you made that move to, to join the staff at Lake State and as an associate head coach the first year, uh, and then the head coach after that, what, what was that, that move and that transition like out to, to Lake State? Well, it was, uh, it was certainly a, a shock even to myself. I, I, you know, I'd known Jeff Jackson for a long time at that point. He was a midget coach when I was beginning. Uh, before he was a Jeff Jackson, everybody else knew. He was coaching St. Clair Shore Falcons out of Detroit. Uh, and I had recruited a number of players, not necessarily successfully, but attempted to uh, for his teams. So we knew each other very well. And uh, obviously he went on to great success at Lake Superior and uh, a position opened and I, I happened to be on the phone with him. And he just said, uh, you know, would you be interested in looking at this? And uh, I almost, I almost mockingly said, yes. I mean, I never thought I'd never been to Sault Ste. Marie um, and uh, I never had even considered, you know, the CCHA in any way, shape or form. Um, and so he said, just come on out and look. And, and when I did, I, you know, I obviously had a world of respect for him and the hockey community there is second to none. It, um, they really, really care. Um, you know, every morning, whether you win or lose, you know, the guy at the gas station is going to know and he's going to want to have a conversation about it. And, uh, where I got my coffee every day. And, you know, it was a great experience. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I was disappointed that it didn't work. Like we had, we had, I thought made a, a really good turn in the program. My second to last year, uh, we had some good things happening. Um, and then we just had a really tough year and obviously that was the end of it. But, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience. I'm really thankful to Jeff to give me that opportunity Really thankful for, to the uh, school to, to, you know, I'd only been there one year when they gave me the opportunity to be the head coach. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I I'd built some relationships I'll always have and, and got to know some people that uh, I never would have gotten to know if I wasn't in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, right? So that was a wonderful experience. Yeah. And the uh, people there were uh, still very good to me. We went there with, with our team two mm-hmm. years ago and ate at the same restaurants I'd eaten at and <laughs> went out to lunch with, uh, you know, some friends that would be there before when I was there. So it was, it was a great experience. It was a great life experience. One of the few places in the world where you can make $60,000 to live on the lake. Uh, <laughs> but I was lucky and I got there and, you know, never get that chance again, but I, I really loved it. Uh, th- then after that, a stop at New England college before I, I think what many people remember, and that's the, the long run you had at UNH, uh, what, what was it like kind of just moving back east and, and obviously spent a year at New England College and then uh, the long run at UNH? What, what was the experience like moving back and, and getting right back into it? I mean, not even a, sometimes guys will take a year off. I don't think there was, right? It was the very next season you were at New England College? It was the very next season. And I, I'll never forget when I was let go at Lake Superior, I, had a, um, I got a phone call from Doug Riseboro, who at the time was with the Minnesota Wild. And I didn't have any relationship with him at all. I didn't know, didn't know him at all. Um, but he called basically because a friend of his, Glenn Giovannucci, who was a scout, uh, was a friend of mine. And he called and he called and said, hey, uh, welcome to coaching. And I said, ah, thank you. You know, what's that mean? He said, well, <laughs> until you get fired, that's the first time you've probably really made a, an honest decision about whether you want to coach or not. Because in most coaching situations, including my own, 
you kind of fall into it. Like I fell in the coaching because of my injury and then I fell in the province because of my recruiting process. But now I was sitting there without a job, four young kids. Did I want a coach? Well, I was going to have to get after it and find, and, you know, beat the path to get a job or I was going to try to do something else. And I spent, uh, you know, months in that fashion. And I was very fortunate that a relationship I had with a coach at St. Cloud State at the time, Craig Dahl, he had a relationship with the, the, the AD at New England College and, he set it up and, you know, it was, uh, it was great. I went there and I loved it. I was only there eight months. Um, I really enjoyed it. You know, when you're at the end of a tenure, like I was at Lake Superior, especially in a small community where everybody knows everybody's business and they're talking about you getting fired for the five years you've been the head coach. When it, when it happens, um, you know, it happens. It's over, you know, but the people around you, because players never blame it on players. It's always on the coach. And so, um, you know, when it happened and I went to New England College and I started drawing up drills or things or whatever, I could feel my confidence coming back to me because of the way I was being looked at. In New England, I was like, hey, this guy was a Division One coach, you know, last week. Well, not last week, but three months ago. Um, and he must know something. They just, they just said blind trust. Uh, and, and it really brought me back to enjoying what I was doing. It brought me a level of confidence. It got me back to being excited about doing it. Um, so when the opportunity at UNH came, um, I'm sorry to say I jumped at it. Um, because, and I say sorry because I'm so thankful for what New England College did for me. Lori Marksmeyer was my AD and never knew her before. She was an unbelievable lady and really good to me. And um, it was, New England was great to me and I was really appreciative of it. But I just felt like you know, getting back into the game, working with, you know, Richie Umilly, uh, getting back into the Durham area, uh, that would just be something I'd enjoy and, and it would be good for everybody. And so I decided to do that. And, and um, you know, obviously, as you know, we had a long tenure together and mostly successful. It didn't end the way we wanted it to, but um, we had a great run. And I, and I think it was, uh, you know, that was really the probably the prime of, of uh, UNH's program was, you know, that 10 years and the five years before I got there and then 10 years that I was there. For sure. Yeah, it was funny when, I think it was the day that you were introduced at Merrimack, Merrimack AD, Jeremy Gibson and I were having a conversation out in the lobby and he had said something that I just didn't realize. Um, but he goes, if you look at UNH and, and then the time you spent at Providence, he goes, I think he's been a part of teams 15 out of the last 16 years that had gone to the NCAA tournament. And I was like, what? And, and I had to go back and look it up because I was like, there's no way. That can't be correct. I mean, that sounds like it's impossible. Uh, but no, yeah, it was something something like that. I think it was 15 out of the last 16 NCAA tournaments you were on a staff that was in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that between UNH and Providence, I mean, that was quite a run. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, you know how obviously everybody knows how hard it is to make the NCAAs. I mean, to, to be there that often is is saying a lot. Well, it was it was fourteen, not fifteen. Okay, but it was really. <laughs> I was off by one. <laughs> uh, but it was really. I just want to take credit for something I didn't do. <laughs> but it was really. Uh, I was lucky. Like you think about, and I know that I don't want to come off as this falsely humble human being. But I walked into a situation at UNH where Brian McCloskey had uh, made some great headway in some recruiting areas. Uh, David Lasson had been on the staff for a while and, and had a relationship and a, a kind of a, he and Richie really worked well off of each other. And I just had to kind of find my niche on that staff. And, and I was friends with both of them separately outside of professionally. And that made it easier, but still you had to, whenever there's a relationship of three, you have to work on that. And, 
and we did, and uh, it was a blast. I was there, and Richie was on fire. Our teams were rolling. Recruiting was easy. Not easy. That's that's the wrong term way to say it. But recruiting was we were recruiting the best players in the country, in in all countries, and and kids were interested. Kids were, might come, they might not come, but we we had access to every living room, you know, in North America. I went to Providence. Nate had just come off the championship season. Uh, you know, Chris Mayotte, who's world class human being. Uh, Teresa Feaster. I just again, I, I walked into a situation where uh, they needed a lot because we were going to have a, it was going to be a um, transformative kind of recruiting class because we were losing a huge class that got them to the national tournament. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons they hired me. Um, and so that was going to be a challenge, but it gave me a role immediately on the staff. And, uh, and we had a great run. But I would you know, suggest that I, I may be, I said this to someone else not that long ago, I may be one of the luckiest coaches on the planet, you know, just looking at the people I've been able to put myself around and work with, learn from, uh, and bounce ideas off of, and, and, and call friends. I, I don't know if other people could, you know, have the access to the people I have access to um, and have had access to throughout my career because of those relationships. And, um, and that's really what Providence and UNH were both manifestations of great chemistry on the staff that produced great chemistry, you know, on the ice. And uh, I'll always believe that it, it started there and then continued to grow, you know, in the locker room. And that's what, exactly what we're trying to do at Merrimack. Uh, yeah. And then, and then you get to Merrimack and, and, you know, it's interesting because I'd always heard your name, your name had been brought up in other searches, you know, coming up before that in, in the previous years. I think I remember hearing you being brought up as a candidate at UMass at one point. I mean, anytime there was a job opening, you know, when you're on staffs at, at UNH and Providence that have the success that you guys were having, I mean, you're obviously, you know, those assistant coaches are going to be candidates. But uh, as things kind of went along and you went through the process at Merrimack, um, you know, and I have talked about this before, but I mean, did you kind of, did you know whether or not you'd get another opportunity to be a head coach? I mean, were you confident you were going to get one or? Or were you, or were you not sure? I mean, after that was what was it? Two thousand one was Lake State. So I mean, it had been, you know, fifteen, sixteen years. Did you did you think you would have another opportunity to to run a Division one program at some point? I'd say in two thousand one, I that's what I wanted. But in two thousand sixteen, seventeen, um, I didn't think that was going to happen, um, and I was comfortable with that. You know, I really. You know, at the end of the day, I think every coach would say, I just want to be part of something special. And I don't need to be the head coach. Uh, you know, I can be, I can take any role on that team if it's something special. And I felt like uh, at UNH, we had that. And obviously our tenure ran out, um, but it, we had that experience. And, you know, every day I uh, was proud to be part of that program and, and work with Richie and David and Glenn Stewart and some of the other guys, Jim Tortorella, who's on that staff. Um, and then going to Providence, I just felt very uh, lucky and fortunate to be at Providence when I was. And I thought that we did a really good, um, we were building something kind of special uh, that I had to stay, you know, very you know, committed to. And I, I loved it. You know, I loved it. I needed to, um, you know, buy into it. I could have stayed there forever. I, I loved my experience. And, um, I, I, you know, as you can see with the kids, I had a great relationship with the kids. And I think that's how our staff was, too. So. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I was, I'm very excited to be at Merrimack, but I didn't need to leave Providence. I wasn't dying to leave Providence to go get to be a head coach. I came to Merrimack because I wanted to be part of something special. And my role happens to be as the head coach, but I would have taken any role. I just, I just want to do something at some place that people just don't expect it to be able to happen.
I was going to say, yeah. What was what were some of the things that stood out? I mean, as you were going through the process, because they're they're looking for a head coach, but like you said, you were in a good spot. You didn't have to leave. So what what made Merrimack attractive when you were kind of going through the process and and made it a place where you said, hey, this is a place I want to go and try to do something special. Well, it's uh, you know, I, I think number one, it was it was really good, you know, for my personal life, my family. Um, I was getting remarried, and my wife lived in uh, Newbury, Mass, and that was going to be a, a really big benefit to us. Um, my son Charlie was was going to Tufts. Being up in this area was going to be huge. Owen, uh, my other son Owen, was at um, Brooks School at the time, so there was a lot of personal things that that drew me. Uh, but I'll say, like, I went to my interview at Merrimack perfectly w- ready to say this isn't for me if it was not what I saw. And the day I went there, um, I loved the president, Chris Holpe. I loved how aggressive he was, uh, competitive he was, and, and is, by the way. I shouldn't say it like that. He is. Um, and how driven, you know. And, and uh, it seemed to me like he came to Merrimack to do with the school with the exact same reason I came to Merrimack Hockey to try to do with Merrimack Hockey. Uh, and I just felt really good about that. You know, I felt good about that uh, interview I had with him and the relationship that I saw was possible there, um, the other people I met. And then uh, I really, and it's funny, um, this might be a weird way to say this, but I really operate well within Jeremy, within Jeremy Gibson's, you know, kind of leadership of our, of our department. You know, he's, um, he's so easy to talk to about it and uh, has a really calming effect uh, on any kind of stressful situation. I just felt like the people and the places and the people and the pieces, but most importantly, the people were in place that we could be successful. Um, and right now, like, I feel like we've gotten, Hey, we're in an unbelievable year. The pandemic is, is it made it difficult on everybody. But as I've said to you before, the size of our school, the resources of our school to put the effort in to get our athletic teams on the rank and on the fields, I just think it shows everything about why, why Merrimack's moving forward as a school, and, and we want to be part of that momentum. Do you feel like you guys have taken a step this year, too, just just as a team? I mean, I know it takes time, right? You're, you're trying to install your own culture. We talked about it back three years ago, how you were recruiting a lot of guys who had been captains of their teams and, and trying to instill you know, something different in, in kind of the culture of the program. And it seems like this year uh, you guys started with a, a – really tough schedule UMass Northeastern four times Boston College I mean that's you're facing the iron of the league there in the first seven or eight games but I think since the middle of January you're right at 500 uh it just it feels like there's been a turn taken especially over the last maybe month month and a half and we've talked a little bit about it uh doing some other stuff too but does it kind of feel like especially over the last month there's hurdles that that this group is starting to clear whether it's winning those close games that maybe you had trouble winning at the beginning of the year and at times last year uh do do you feel like there's been a, a step taken over the last month with some of those guys that are now you know in the second half of their of their sophomore years I, you know, I definitely do. I think it's um, – I feel like, you know, every game we play right now, we can go out and win. And um, I think our team is starting to adopt that uh, a little bit, you know, and I, I think that's great. You know, I, I think, you know, we beat UNH at UNH. This is the first time we came back. I didn't love our game on Saturday. We tied that game. I didn't think we had the killer instinct, you know. And, you know, that was a kind of a case of learning how to win back-to-back hockey. It's brutal to do that, really difficult. Um, and this weekend when we played BU, I thought our team expected to win Saturday. Um, 
we, I thought we were appropriately disappointed when we didn't. I thought we played a good game. You know, they did too. They had a good pushback. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I think the growth of the program is seen in the BU celebration after they won. You know, uh, they knew they were in for a dogfight. And um, so didn't we. So I, I think our team is, has definitely grounded a corner. I think the, the, the most difficult corner is ahead of us. I, I mean that because, um, and I won't get into this long story I have when I was at Lake Superior about my third year, but I think your third year, you obviously have, have changed the roster a lot for good or for bad. You, you've put your own stamp on it. Um, but in our situation, now we have more players who can play in more situations. It's going to really test the team skills of our individuals. And we have to be elite at that. If, we're, if we handle that and manage that well, we're going to have a lot of fun here. And um, that can happen tomorrow and that, or that could happen next fall. Uh, we need to have it happen as soon as possible. But it's, it's the next big challenge for our team um, is to be accepting uh, of our roles and then to try to be an all-star in that role. Uh, and that's, you know, people's roles from the, when they first got here, when I first got here, have changed dramatically. Um, and that's, that's a hard thing to adjust to for a student athlete. And I think we're doing a good job with it. Uh, but the biggest tests are ahead for sure. Have you have you been surprised too at the impact that some of the younger players have been able to make? Whether it's, I mean, the, the freshman defenseman you had last year, you know, specifically Ewens and Carlisle were getting a lot of draft buzz. Ewens was drafted, uh, and then this year with some of the forwards, almost specifically Jeffries and Lovett are, are the two that stick out. Alex Jeffries and Connor Lovett, uh, who both are are true freshmen coming out of prep school, which you just. I feel like you don't see that very often anymore. Uh, and in fact, you know, there's a great example of a guy that, that did it, uh, who, you, who you played this past weekend. Jay O'Brien was at Providence, ended up leaving Providence, going to the BCHL for a year, and then coming back and, and playing at BU. You don't see a guys kind of make that jump a lot. And those two guys have made jumps. And not only have they made the jump, but like Jeffries obviously is almost at a point per game and is just coming off of an injury but playing extremely well. Uh, and Connor Lovett maybe doesn't have the scoring numbers that Jeffries has, but still has certainly made an impact and is in the lineup when he's when he's healthy. What is? Have you been surprised at the the ability for those two guys, in particular, to be able to make the contributions that they've made? Uh, just where we don't usually see, you know, an eighteen year old coming out of prep school make that that type of immediate impact. They almost always take a, a year somewhere else, whether it's in the USHL or the BCHL or wherever. Uh, but those two guys have come in and, and made an impact that is probably not very typical of, of a guy coming out of prep school to be able to do. Yeah, no, and I, I really like all of our freshmen this year. You know, they've all done a good job. But, you know, those two have made the biggest jump, obviously. Um, but they were both physically. I think that's the biggest difference. You know, I was obviously at Providence. We recruited Jay, and uh, he's a great player. You know, and I don't know because I was gone at that point, but where he was physically when he arrived, was he physically ready for that? I have no idea. Uh, with Connor Lovett and with um, Alex Jeffries, physically they, they were ready for that. They, they both uh, had, you know, for lack of a better term, man bodies. Uh, they could both move a lot of weight in the room, um, and they both were powerful. And I thought that made them able to make that adjustment. Uh, to get to college. Uh, and, hey, you still see some of their youth and some of the, the they'll make some mistakes that maybe if they played a year of junior, they wouldn't make. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of times we have kids play the year of junior for our own good, not necessarily for theirs. Uh, and, you know, I, I never think it's a waste because you can always grow as a person and as a student, and obviously you do as a player. But, you know, I, I think there's probably more kids who could do that, you know, and, and we, 
you know, we thought we were going to have Mark Hillier coming in and doing the same thing. We would have had three true freshmen in the class. Um, the difference was Mark was in Labrador, Newfoundland, and when the shutdown happened, he did not have a chance to train at all. So he was not going to be, a, be in a physical position to compete and be ready to be a true freshman. So he went off and, and tried to do something else for a year. But I think the um, I, I think our, our freshmen this year, you know, the biggest thing in this and players need to be aware of this. It's all about opportunity. You know, um, if you take, you know, some of these players, uh, from, especially from last year's freshman class and put them in a program where they're fighting through traffic versus getting immediate opportunity. Um, they may not develop like they've developed. And I think we have, you know, Declan Carlisle and Zach Vanella, two great examples of that. Uh, as is Zach Ewens, they, they played immediately. They played in good roles immediately. Um, they were allowed to make mistakes because it was a new and kind of, for lack of a better word, burgeoning program. Um, and they were allowed to develop through those mistakes. The, the thing that happens to players when they get in the traffic is they don't develop through those mistakes. They get benched through those mistakes. Um, and that's, that's a harder situation for players to deal with. So um, I, I'm really happy with the development of our sophomore class and with our incoming freshmen we had this year and super excited about next year too. Uh, but I think it's, it's really about opportunity and that's what players when they're in the recruiting process, you know, don't get caught up in the bells and whistles, focus on the opportunity, focus on the relationship and then you'll make a good decision. And uh, that unfortunately those are not necessarily two things that are at the top of everyone's list. And then the last thing for me before we wrap up, I and mean, we talked about about recruiting, and uh, that was obviously your role as an assistant on staffs. So how much of that do you still do now? Because I know from talking to you, it's something that you still enjoy. And uh, I think I said this to somebody last year. There was a day that we talked after a weekend. I think it was like you guys played Saturday. I think it was you played on a Saturday and Sunday for a weekend, or maybe it was a Friday Saturday. And then I called you about something on Monday, and you were like, "Oh, I'm I'm in Sioux City or Sioux Falls or somewhere." And I said, "I don't know how many coaches are, are traveling. You know, how many head coaches are taking their Monday off day and flying halfway across the country to to, to meet a player?" But it obviously is something you still obviously enjoy to do. But uh, how, how much do you still get to do it as a head coach? Um, it being in your role now, I know Dan Jewell and Josh Siaco are doing kind of the, the 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 leg the most of the legwork from a travel standpoint, but how much do recruiting do you, how much recruiting do you still get to do as as the head coach? Hi, uh, you still get to do a fair amount, you know, and and uh, I love the travel. I love the the you know obviously we talked about a, a many times relationships that are built in those travels, and um, you know it's kind of a guy who's been around the block a few times. Most of the time, I'm going to a rank. I'm going to a rank where I know the people fairly well and get a chance to have a, you know, a nice conversation or what have you. I enjoy that part of it. Um, but I, I think that at Merrimack, because, you know, at the moment we're still kind of regional, you know, we're not a national um, college at the moment and we're growing to that point and the school's pushing itself to that point. Um, it's important that as the head coach, you're out uh, and you're out uh, meeting the families and the players and, and letting them know that, you know, that there's a plan uh, there is a um, process that the college is going through that's going to help the college become even more than it already is today. Um, and that same thing is going to be true within our hockey program. I think as a head coach at Merrimack, if you're not heavily involved in the recruiting, then you're doing a disservice to the school. And, and that's, you know, I'm lucky because I love it, but also, it, you know, I see it very much as my job. All right, awesome. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate the time. I know you've we've done a lot of these uh, <laughs> talking about you know basically just just team based topics. So this was a lot of fun for me. So thanks for taking the time and good luck this weekend and the playoffs coming up uh, next week. 
Yeah, I really appreciate it, Mike. You too. Hopefully we'll see you this weekend. Uh, and thanks for caring about Merrimack hockey. I think we have a, a special thing that's going on at a special place, and I'm really excited to be part of it, and I'm glad you are too. Thanks again to Merrimack head coach Scott Borg for taking some time today to run through his career on the College Hockey Insider podcast. Uh, again, check us out at collegehockeyinsider.com. Uh, in the post to this podcast and in any one of our posts, you'll see a button for a free seven-day trial subscription. I would really appreciate it if you gave us a shot. I think you'll really like uh, what you see on our subscriber side of things. We've been able to break some stories, which I've been proud of, uh, and we've also uh, been able to keep people updated on all the news happening around college hockey and and not only give you the news, but give you some analysis on what that news means uh, to the game now, what it could mean in the future, what it's meant in the past. Uh, We've we've got a a lot of analysis that goes into our news stories and and our newsletter posts that go up uh, at least three or four times a week. Uh, we get new stories pumped out with all the latest news and also what it means going forward, as I'm getting an email right now, uh, which you probably heard in the background. But yeah, so check us out, collegehockeyinsider.com. Uh, and again, there's a seven uh, a button there for a seven-day free trial subscription. I would really appreciate it if you checked out. I think you'll get a lot out of it. I think you'll really enjoy it. I've had a ton of fun doing it. Uh, and like I said, you know, we're getting into the busy season too, I think, when it comes to um, insider news and kind of breaking stories. We, we've been able to do a lot of that. Mostly, a lot of that comes up in the off-season. Uh, in season, there's not a ton, you know, news-wise as far as bigger picture things. But in the off season is when you've got programs that are popping up and starting, and you've got coaches that might be moving and taking different jobs. So there's a lot going on in the off season. So we're coming up in the busy season with the tournament and the playoffs, uh, and then the off season coming up. So if you want to check us out again, I would really appreciate it. I think you'll get uh, a lot of enjoyment out of it. I've had a lot of enjoyment putting those posts together. Uh, and again, it's College Hockey Insider. So that'll do it for us for today. Thanks again to Coach Borg for being our guest. Thanks to you guys for downloading the show and checking us out. And until the next time that we go inside college hockey, this has been the College Hockey Insider Podcast. Talk to you again soon.